This interview is made possible by the VIEW Conference, the biggest computer graphics conference in Italy. Our dates for 2022 are from the 16th to the 21st of October. We hope to see you in Italy or online. For more information about VIEW Conference, please visit our website, viewconference.it. Today, we're incredibly fortunate to have here with us directors Byron Howard and Jared Bush. They will speak to us about Encanto, which is Disney Animation Studios' 60th movie. I really loved the movie. Oh, um, that's so nice. It's so, it's so, so beautiful. It is really a masterpiece. It's just gorgeous. Uh, you nailed it. Oh, that's <laughs> I'm so glad you liked it. I mean, I, like, I, it was funny because you are one of my earliest memories of having any sort of conversation about what Jared and I and Lynn were doing. And I think we went to Bob's Big Boy. And I think, <laughs> I think you were telling me about your father and how much he valued your, valued your education about that small town and stuff. And there was something so great about that. So I, that, I, I love that the, the movie really did wind up being about family. It's gorgeous, yes. So I'm going to ask you to start with a couple of questions about yourselves. Why did you decide to go into animation? Oh my gosh, that's such a big question. <laughs> well, well, I guess I'll, ju I'll jump in. I, I just, uh, you know, um, I didn't know I wanted to be in animation. I grew up drawing and I grew up loving film. And when I was in school, I was more on the live action side, but there was a moment when I saw, I saw a little mermaid, I saw who framed Roger Rabbit. And that really showed me that animation could be something different than I was picturing. I actually didn't know you could get paid to do this. It's amazing that, that we do, but I say the great thing over the years, that has been uh, an amazing experience. I heard Jared talk about this too, is that because when you're a director, you get to be a part of all of these different brilliant people's process. Like we have people who are the best in the world everywhere around us. And so we're constantly learning and being honestly blown away by by their work. So that's that's what got me up. That's why I, I like it. How about you, Jared? What do you think? Oh man, uh, well, I, you know, it's funny. Uh, I think similar to Byron, when I was growing up, um, I didn't know that animation was gonna be the world that I went into. Um, but I grew up on Amblin movies, you know, movies that were really sort of for literally everyone. And I found that when I moved to Los Angeles um, in the early 2000s, that that live action movies at that time were less for everybody. But there was one thing that was and that was animation, specifically Disney animation and Pixar. And those were the type of stories that I really loved, ones that had depth had big entertainment had really fun worlds i love world building um and so like i was like i think this is where i think this is where i need to be and i met byron byron hired me at disney animation <laughs> um and the second i came in i mean he'll tell you i was like i never want to leave this place i, I knew that week one i didn't want to leave this place and that was over 10 years ago i think it was one of those really a lucky amazing things where I found the home that I didn't know was supposed to be my home for my entire life. Many years ago, this candle blessed our family with a miracle. Our house, our casita, came to life with magic. Hola, casita. Boys! Drawers! Let's go! In time, every member of our family... Cecilia, up top! ...was given their own magical gift. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I understand you. I'm not super strong like Luisa. The donkey's got out again. On it! 
or effortlessly perfect like Senorita Perfecta Isabella. But Mama, why am I the only one that didn't get a gift? You are just as special as anyone else in this family. You just healed my hand with an arepa con queso. Casita? What's going on? The magic is in danger. We gotta get out of here! We must protect our home. We must protect our family. This is my chance. I will save the magic. Wait, how do I save the magic? fate of the family is going to come down to you. I can't do this. Let me help you. The rats told me everything. Don't eat those. Even in our darkest moments, there's light where you least expect it. Whoa. A lot of stairs. But at least I'll have a friend. Nope, you flew away immediately. Quitter! <laughs> Let me ask you a question about the genesis of Encanto. I, I find it to be a really beautiful uh, love letter, a moving love letter to the whole idea of family. Well, you're exactly right. I mean, that's exactly where we started. Um, uh, yeah. Jared, Lynn, and I as a trio first started talking about the movie as a movie about family in the biggest way we could possibly think of, which is talking about the complexities of extended families, not just how families are good, which they frequently are, but how tricky it can be to belong to a family and how complicated and complex and how nobody really sees each other for who they truly are. And this idea of perspective and family became super, super important. And then when Charisse uh, Castro-Smith joined us and she's this amazing co-director, co-writer who wrote the uh, screenplay with Jared, she brought this great sense of magical realism, which we were so inspired by. Colombia specifically is one of the birthplaces of that literary style that felt so organic and perfect for not only this part of the world, but this particular story where so many people in the family's roles had to be linked to, uh, to magic. That's where it all started. It really started with, with exactly like you said, with discussions about family. What was actually think was really crazy was that, you know, we knew that family was going to be important, but we also wanted to say something different about family than we'd seen in movies before. We didn't know what that was. And so when we started to talk to our families, I remember very specific conversations where I realized, oh my gosh, I don't know my family as well as I think I do. Uh, and that was just like, not because I was searching for, oh, well, we're going to do, we're going to talk about perspective and we're going to talk about how we don't see each other, but literally just through conversations, it came out of those conversations that I realized that I couldn't see my mother as a person. I could see her as my mother, that relationship to me, but like a whole person, I don't know my mom as a whole person. That's crazy. And that was like that for every uh, member of our families. And, and we also, so we started talking about that amongst the three of ourselves and then large groups in the studio. And pretty quickly we realized that this is everybody. It's so universal that in a family, you kind of see each other one way. How is that possible? These are the people that you spend the most time with that, you love the most and you still can't fully see them. Uh, that was a really interesting thing for us to, um, to tackle in the story. Following the whole idea of how you developed the Madrigal family, I mean, why did you choose a musical term for the last name? And just, just 
how did you develop all those characters and the intergenerational relationships? The name Madrigal surfaced very early. I think we all early on liked that it related to music and the fact that it had uh, a nice rhythm and a sound. I think Lynn liked that it had it could rhyme with magical. I think there was something that was that was really critical. And, and one something that was very different about this show than others that I've worked on is that uh, Lynn, as a songwriter, was there from the very beginning. And so that was that was amazing for, you know, he was um, really working on the story with us as Jared and Sharice were honing the screenplay and as we were creating these characters. Like with those characters, you really started with our own families and our own family roles and talking to everybody around us about their families. Like what roles are absolutely in your family? And everybody had a rock of the family, someone who does everything for the family, never complains, you never hear a peep of a complaint from them or the perfection, the perfectionist, someone who it seems like their life is so easy, like flowers bloom in their footsteps. Uh, everyone's got a nurturer. Uh, most people have gossips in their family, uh, which it was really fun. But I think it was really those universal roles. Like as soon as like, like Jared was talking about like, that universality, like everybody um, experienced it. And then we went on to kind of uh, think about how we could visualize those with the magical realism uh, inspired storytelling in the movie. Yeah, it was, it was hard though, you know, because I think that, that one of the biggest challenges of this movie, what made it really ambitious was we have 12 key members of our family but it's not just 12 characters in a story. They are members of a family that have to relate to each other. You have to understand like, why would this person marry this person? How would they then raise their kids? What are those kids like? What are their cousins like? How does that change? What is their grandmother's relationship? And that all has to actually be real. The math of all of those things has to feel organic because I think because we know our family so well, if you don't do that in a way that feels um, true, then I think people tune out because they go, well, this doesn't seem like a real family. This just seems like a bunch of uh, random family members that aren't real people. And so that was actually very, very tricky for us to go through and really understand personalities on a three generation uh, uh, scale, which is which was um, really, really fun, but certainly super challenging. How did you map out the story arcs of the different characters? And how did you make sure that each character got enough screen time? Uh, a, a few things really, really helped us. One, we had a group within our studio that we called the Familia Group. This is a group of anyone, uh, uh, any uh, one of Latin descent in our studio came and talked to us about their families, about relationships, about traditions, about holidays, about their weird uncle, about their, you know, uh, difficult relationships with their parents. Um, and so we were loaded up with a lot of that as we went in and our own stories as well, because <laughs> our families, are, like Byron said, are also challenging. So we were very, very much loaded up with that. Then we also talked to family therapists and psychologists. And so we could really understand from a generational standpoint what that looked like. And then also do that with psychologists and psychiatrists that were from Latin America. So we also got that lens as well. So that felt true. And then we started to build this family. I'd say that one of the things that was that was the most challenging was making sure that we did have time to get to know everyone because that's the conceit of the story is we're going to present you the opening song. We're going to present you with everyone in the family. This is all you need to know about them. And then spend the next 90 minutes subverting that and showing you that actually Mirabelle's opening song is almost entirely wrong. That these what she thought about someone wasn't exactly the full picture. Um, and that's where the luxury that we have at Disney Animation of having five years to figure out a story. It's a lot of trial and error. It's a lot of like having fresh eyes, people that we really respect, taking a look and saying, 
this is working here, but I don't get enough of this character here to really earn this moment later. Uh, and so it was constantly little tweaks along the way where we would push a character up and that feels really good. But now this other character feels like they don't have enough screen time. And so you push that character up and that would have this other effect. And so um, I think we had to have a lot of trust in our core creative team to sort of keep our eyes uh, on our true north. But then we also had a ton of collaboration, the amazing music of Lin-Manuel who could take a character, make music out of their journey and make it very compelling. Um, and, uh, and then we have an amazing cast that really helped us through it. <laughs> Honestly, the, the answer is it takes hundreds of people to try to attempt that. Uh, and I'm really, really excited that, that we had such good friends along the journey with us. Tell me more about the appeal about the musical and what it was like working with Lin-Manuel Miranda. From the beginning, we knew it was a musical. Uh, when Byron and I were, were working on Zootopia, this must have been six or seven years now. We, as you know, we are lifelong musicians. We love musicals. And we said, okay, the next movie we work on together, we want it to be a musical. So we knew it then. Um, and then I had just been finishing up on Moana, working with Lin-Manuel. Uh, he wanted to do another musical, but he wanted to set it somewhere in Latin America. And so it kind of made sense for the three of us to get together. So we knew it was going to be a musical. I think for this movie specifically, um, we had these 12 main characters and trying to separate them was really, really important so that you'd get a distinct, you get distinct personalities from the music. What's great is that there's so many different types of music in Colombia and each style of music there has a very distinct personality. And so it was really Lynn saying, okay, well, a, a character like Luisa, who's the strong sister, what type of music from Colombia marries well with that? Reggaeton marries really well with that. And so now you're going to get this strong sounding song that's very contemporary that gives way to this very emotional part, but then goes back to being strong. That makes sense for her. Or uh, Isabella, who is Mirabel's perfect sister, who kind of goes on a bender. Well, you know, Shakira era uh, rock and espanol makes a lot of sense uh, for a character like that who's sort of like going off and being rebellious. So let's bring that in. And then Mirabel, um, Lynn leaned into a musical style called Bambuco, uh, which is actually from the region where the house is actually set. Um, and it's in a different time signature. It's sort of like a waltz. It's like a Colombian waltz in three, four times. So she's literally at her time with the rest of her family, but she's more tied to that place. I think what's great about having someone like Lynn, who is a master of all of these things, is that he can not only give you separate music styles that allows you to feel different characteristics uh, of both the music and the personalities of the characters. And it sort of, and they become one and the same, which is very, very exciting. Um, but he's also able to, um, really help shape characters along the way. So back to Louisa again, you know, I think when we heard that song, it had such an important effect on us because um, I think that vulnerability that he found and that yearning that he found in that song, uh, we weren't expecting. And when we heard it, it was so compelling that we actually, Sharice and I went back through and changed the entire script and every single time Louisa was in there, we actually adjusted that character. So to have someone so collaborative like Lynn who's not just writing songs for the movie, he's truly helping you build the world and the characters and the dynamics uh, was a real gift. Just add a little to that, just off of what you're talking about with the characters, uh, Maria Elena, you know, the, the specificity of everybody in the family was very important. Everyone had to really occupy their own space and be very distinct, especially with the women. The women are at the core of the family. Abuela is a hugely important character and uh, Maria Cecilia Botero, who, who plays her in both the Spanish dub and the English um, version was, she was a godsend for us because she really grounded the story because it really is about her family 
and the choices she had to make um, under very, very difficult circumstances. So even like, uh, and like Jared mentioned, Luisa's song feels very different from Isabella's song, which feels very different from the, the vulnerability of Mirabel's song. And then Alma, even though she doesn't sing the principal song that's about her life, it's really kind of this um, uh, wistful love song about evolution and, and transformation and regret and loss. Dos Rodriguez, which is that beautiful song that Lynn wrote for the end of the film. Um, it, it's just, it, it helped everyone be more specific about who was who. And then that was the trick seeing, you know, Jared and Sharice weave that together in the screenplay, how those characters talk to each other and then see how Lynn beautifully, I think masterfully wove all those together. So that each song spoke to uh, the other. So that uh, specifics were great. The details were awesome and very, very important. This leads me to the next question about why you chose Colombia. Lynn, like from almost the moment we talked about this project, he said, I really want to do a, the definitive Latin American Disney animated musical. And, but none of us knew where it should be set. Latin America is, you know, it's enormous. And um, so then the question was like where to set the movie, what would be the best place for the story? And we have two friends, uh, Juan Rendon and Natalie Ozma, who are two filmmakers that worked with uh, Jared and myself on the documentary for Zootopia, the making of <laughs> Zootopia. And so they've been with us through the whole process and they are both Colombian. Juan is from Cali, uh, Natalie is from Bogota. And they said, you know, if you guys are looking for a place that's really the crossroads of everything in Latin America, food, culture, family, ethnicity you should really look at Colombia, and we took their word for it and they actually took us there on a, a research trip about three and a half years ago with with lynn with his dad and um and really with this musical in mind so we knew it was going to be a musical we knew it was going to be about a big extended family very diverse family and i gotta tell you we were all completely blown away by the time we spent down there especially by the warmth of colombian families and how welcomed we felt and how proud people are of uh, Colombia as their country, but also of the um, strength they've had during hardships and that resilience was very, very inspiring. So we came back really energized to uh, make that the place we set the film. Yeah, and the other thing I'd say is that we also knew from the beginning that that we didn't want to create a sort of a fantasy land, like a pan-Latin fantasy land. We wanted it to be a real place. We just wanted that real place to be able to pull in as much of Latin America as we could. So the idea that, um, that Colombia is this crossroads uh, was perfect. Uh, and and on, on top of the fact that as a musical, it has, you know, all of the music of Latin America plus its own style, dance, uh, it's super vibrant. And then as you mentioned before, it is also this, this home of magical realism that so inspired our story, uh, was a different type of magic than we tried to pull off at, at Disney before. And that was really, really exciting to find something so rooted to place. Uh, that could also really affect visually how uh, the movie logged. Can you talk a little bit more about uh, specifically the influence of magical realism in your movie? Like magical realism is a is a literary story that that I've always loved. So it was what was really nice. It wasn't like something that for this movie went. Oh, what is this that we've never heard of? It was of course these are stories that that we we love. Um, you know, I feel like. Uh, um, obviously, Gabriel Garcia Marquez is is uh, someone I look up to so much. His his uh, way of telling stories is something that has really affected me just in general in life. Isabel Allende, obviously someone I, I love so much. Um, Borges, love so much. Um, you know, I think that as we we got into this, um, you know, even Guillermo del Toro, like these his his movies are movies that I love. Um, so 
a lot of Disney movies are, are or and historically have been based on fairy tales. And we didn't want to do that. We didn't want to say there's this old story and we're going to we'll give you a new version of that old story, but it's going to be Disney. We wanted it to feel very different um, and the type of magic to feel very rooted to place. Um, and so this notion that that, um, you know, I think Sharice and I uh, really had to think about like, what does magical realism mean to us for this story? There's a lot of different definitions of magical realism. And we certainly say that this movie is inspired by magical realism. I don't know if that would say it's actually magical realism. Um, but it, we decided that it was really magic that was going to be born of emotion that was deeply rooted. I think one of the, the great things that that Charisse did, she built this amazing foundation of the this sort of this story of Abuela Alma losing her husband, being in the middle of nowhere, having these three newborn babies um, and praying. And then this miracle is given to her and that magic is infused in a candle. And that's really uh, given this family this amazing encanto. Like a story like that feels kind of this this heightened origin story, but it's built on tragedy and emotion and love. And we use that throughout the entire story where characters' magic wasn't sort of this external thing. It really came from themselves. It was almost an extension of their personality. Um, that was very, very exciting. And it's a different approach than I think that we've we've attempted in the past. And something I think gives this movie a real specificity that I love. And I also love that that specificity is so tied to Columbia where the movie is set. And I would say just a little thing to add to that is that uh, Mirabelle herself was sort of built uh, with this inspiration of magical realism, we talked talked a lot about when you're 15 or 16 years old and everything yeah. in your life is heightened. It's like people, you know, you're writing a journal like, oh my God, this is the worst day ever or this is the best day ever. I'll never be happier. Or the sun is shining brighter. And there's something about that extra bit of day-to-day uh, -day magic that feels like it's present in a lot of uh, magical realism that just fit with it with a team trying to figure yourself out, trying to figure a family out. Let me ask you a question about Mirabel as a character and why you chose not to give any special powers, what she symbolizes and why she wears glasses Absolutely. and why are butterflies associated with her. It was funny because the, the idea of a child, a non-magical child in a magical family was one of the earliest ideas in the first couple months that um, Jared and I were talking about this, this movie together. That was one of our early pitches and it is amazing because as soon as we had that context for who this character was, everybody's heart went out to that child. We didn't even know her name yet, but we knew that she had been passed over. She had been left out for some reason. Nobody knew why. We had different versions of why we thought that was at the time, but we thought what a great way in for the audience because you always want your audience to deeply, deeply identify with your protagonist and really feel like they've been there. And I think everybody in their family, regardless of how great they are on the outside, has always felt lesser than, like they're not bringing as much to the table. And that's certainly the case with Mirabelle. Like she's really struggling to matter to people that she loves. And it's not from a sense of ego, but it's a sense of belonging. It's a sense of contribution. It's a sense of self-worth. And I think that's where people just plugged into her um, automatically and easily. And that was great. That was a true North as well, Mirabelle as a character. But then there was also this idea of perspective. And Jared, you want to talk about the glasses and all this? Sure, yeah. Stuff? I mean, the, you know, I think early on, we we liked the idea of glasses on her because the movie is about perspective. So we actually wanted to draw attention to her eyes. Even her name, Mirabelle, Mira in Spanish is to look. And so those were all very intentional choices uh, to sort of loosely reflect the thematics of the story, whether people pick up on that um, they, some might, some might not, but I think to us, we wanted to be very intentional 
uh, on the onset of what that might feel like. So I think in terms of like her, uh, what what's really great about her as a character is yes, she does not have a gift in this family, but I think one of the things we found is that because of her having that outsider status, um, she has a different view of her family. She's actually weirdly not in the, the typical role like the rest of the family, which gives her a different view of everyone else. And that ultimately is the thing that allows her to see and heal her family. And then like Byron said, ultimately the, the hardest person in the family that she really needs to see as a whole person is herself. Um, and so she goes on this journey where she sees her, her middle sister, Louisa, I can see you a little differently. And then she sees her uncle and then she sees her sister is problematic. And then she sees her grandmother and then she sees herself. So this notion of perspective and empathy uh, is something that she is uh, astounding at and didn't realize that was something to celebrate. How do you think uh, Encanto relates to today's audiences? You know, one of the things that, that, that's so important to me um, and, and the reason why I, I find Mirabel to be such a, a captivating character and a relatable character um, is because she is someone who's dealing with, with worth issues. She looks around and she sees you know, how spectacular her family is and that they have it all together. And I think that, um, I, so I have three boys, they're 14 uh, and, and twins are almost 12. Uh, and they're in this world right now where between social media and life, you know, they're presented with perfect versions of other people, whether that's their friends or whether that's just people at large. I think it's really hard in our world right now to have any sense that, that you have value. Because I think that you're bombarded with what seems to be perfection and um, extraordinary folks around you at all times. And I, I personally think that's just actually not reality. I think that most people are, have struggles and most people have challenges. And I'm hoping that if people see the movie, they feel that they go, you know what, I, that assumption I made of this person is probably not the whole story. That person that looks like they have it all together probably is going through something that they're not talking about. And then I think more to the point, I am also not being the vulnerable person that I need to be to, to share myself with others so that they can see me as well. It's, it's a two-way street. Um, and so I'm really hoping that audiences are able to see that from this movie and if nothing else, start a conversation with the people that matter to them in their lives. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think Jared said it uh, beautifully. And I think another further thing that that can help with worldwide is I think we, <laughs> during the last two years, a lot of people's behavior around us has been confusing and troubling and not we're not always on the same page as our neighbors and uh, socially or politically or just even opinion about how to take care of ourselves. And so, I, you know, it's, it's interesting because this movie is about looking past what you see on the surface. And once you see the motivations for why people are acting the way they are, that's where I think you really start to understand like, oh, I understand now why you were making those choices. Choices are tough. People are making choices for their families and themselves every day. And um, that's been on display for us all worldwide for the last couple of years about, uh, about these choices. So I think that in a way it, it is this big shakeup with uh, the quarantine and COVID um, the last two years, but it's, I think we'll be closer as sort of <laughs> human beings afterwards. It's certainly for our, for us and our crew of about 800 people, it brought us closer together for this, this thing that we've endured being the glue for each other, very much like uh, a whale is the glue for the family in one way, Mirabelle is the glue in another way. Um, being that kind of unifying force for each other by just sort of 
just by taking those walls down, I think is a, a great first step. And so I think that that's helped me a lot. Just, I think this movie has been good therapy for me over the last five years and has made yeah. me think in the world in a very different way. I always like to conclude asking our guests to leave us with a few words of wisdom <clears throat> for young people out there, young filmmakers out there who dream of becoming animators and directors. What would you say to them? Put yourself on screen. And by that, I mean, put find things that you really care about. Um, find your own voice. Be confident to put your own voice out there into the world. That's that's what the world needs. They need new, fresh ideas. They need your specific way of, of looking at the world and the things that you care about matter. So find those things uh, and, and put those on screen would be my advice. Yeah, I would totally second that. And I'd say part of that is also to, to live, live a life, you know, be, be present, be uh, connected to the people and the places where you are. Because I think that to, speaking from an animation standpoint, the thing that makes these films, animated films, really thrive are characters. It's not all the sort of the, the glitz and special effects, which which look great. Um, but you know, I think people go to these movies because they want to feel uh, emotion. They want to feel joy, or they want to feel connection, or they want to feel uh, moved. They want to cry, and so um, those things come from reflections of our real life. So be plug plug yourself into your real life. Pay attention. Little things that you think aren't important are so important um, for these stories. That's the, that is really the fuel that, that builds these stories. And that's what makes them universal because movies are wrapped in a thousand different shiny packages. But at the core, if it doesn't matter on a human personal level, then you're going to forget it. That's why they, I think we always aim to tell something that's timeless and, and really universal. So totally agree with Jared said, put yourself in there, tell your story. And then make sure you're living your life at the same time. Don't get so obsessed with the goal that you forget that this journey that you're on is, is feeding what that will become. Gift or no gift, I am just as special as the rest of my family. Who wants more pink? All right, guys, where do I drop the wagon? Maybe your gift is being in denial. Ugh. Ain't got no, ain't got no.